Hi, and welcome to the Double Deucer podcast, where the podcast is the 22nd Infantry Regiment, where we discuss words about deeds. I am your host, John Cooper, and uh, today I'm joined by Lauren Collins. He was a soldier in the 22nd Infantry Regiment, more specifically 2nd Battalion and Triple Deuce. Uh, we served together, had some great times. So, uh, Lauren, welcome to the show. Oop, it's, uh, it's good to be back with you. You know, we had, uh, you said we had some great times and I'm, I'm happy to be on board and be a part of your project here. Awesome. So you are our first interview uh, of a soldier. So, um, or veteran, uh, Lauren has tasted the sweet nectar of freedom. <laughs> and uh, so we're just gonna, this is the first one. So we're gonna kind of see where it goes. And uh, so, yeah. So where are you from? Just tell, tell me about growing up, where you're from, how it was to grow up, where you sure. were at. Um, and I do have to say, I, uh, I am honored to be the, uh, the first guest on the, the podcast there, pal. It's, 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 a, it's a cool project, and I'm glad to be on board as the, as the uh, first guy through the doors. Or, um, so I grew up in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, born and raised. We're about an hour north of Denver about 40, uh, 45 minutes south of Cheyenne, Wyoming. So we're right at the, uh, the gateway to the west is ICA because we're right in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Um, got to grow up and experience a lot of outdoors stuff, which I didn't realize how much I missed until I left for the Army and how much I took it for granted. And while I was at Drum, I uh, got to experience some awesome uh, uh luxuries in the Adirondacks, hiking, skiing, things like that. So it kept me entertained, but it just, it also reiterated how much I missed uh, that, that outdoor mountain lifestyle. So thankfully New York has had playground for me, but I couldn't imagine being somewhere that uh, didn't have uh, that similar type of environment. But um, grew up uh, son of two cops, mom and dad are both police officers. Um, mom was a police officer for 20 years or 25 years at uh, Colorado State University, and then my father was, he was a Swiss Army knife. He, uh, um, at one point, was a wildland firefighter, then he was an air tanker dispatcher for the fire, the wildland BLM fire service, and he was a flight medic, and then he was a, then he got his um, paramedic search, making paramedic, Todd EMT, he was in a, uh, eventually he jumped on board and created the Fort Collins, uh, tactical EMS, the SWAT medic program. And uh, then he uh, he got recruited by the SWAT officers he worked with to be on Fort Collins PD. And he was there for like 15 years. And now he's back working with uh, the ambulance service again. Um, so that really just having uh, public servants as parents really instilled uh, a sense of, of pride in your community and giving back to it, uh, being there for others. Something that really stuck out to me later on was how much I valued being uh, being there when nobody else could or would. That's what my, my parents did. When there's, there's uh, chaos and danger uh, that's that's occurring, they're the ones running towards it when everyone else run away from it. And I, I, when, I, when I was growing up, I realized that had to be a part of, of my DNA because I, I would have looked back uh, over my shoulder wondering if that ever happened, where, where would I be? When the shit hits the fan, where am I going? And so um, that obviously kind of led to my decision to join the army, but um, yeah, I went to Colorado State University, uh, graduated with a political science degree in 2013, and 
enjoyed working on my working on my, my pickup truck, my Toyota, uh, going off-roading, playing sports, a big fan of baseball, football. Um, just kind of just lived that, uh, that kind of little dream there. Uh, we had a boat for a while, um, had uh, ran that for a good couple of years and uh, before I shipped out anyway. And um, currently working at the uh, Colorado State Capitol, which I hadn't previously worked at before before I joined the Army as uh, after I graduated from CSU. So that's a little, about, little bit about me, I guess. I mean, I, I hear tell that you were a quarterback in high school. Is that uh, yeah, those the rumors true? The rumors do say that. <laughs> um, I was, I was uh, at least my, um, my junior year, uh, I was not the starting quarterback. I was a quarterback. I could say that much, but I was not the <laughs> quarterback. So whenever, uh, you know, especially when I got to college and, you know, girl asked what I did in high school, I was like, well, I was a quarterback. I was not the one, though. Um, but I, of course, I, remember, I remember a couple uh, a couple flag football games where you were slinging yes. that rock across mm-hmm. the uh, – We were actually allowed to play some football on the deuce. Uh, yeah. You were truly stood up. Like, here's – it was kind of unfortunate because we I had just injured my shoulder up in JRTC, but uh, HHC needed a, needed a man to step up for that QB role, and and uh, all the fingers pointed to me. So yeah, that'll happen. I had to, I had to play Kyle Orton to be game manager for a little bit because my arm wasn't always you know 100 there, but by God, we still won the championship. So <laughs> yeah, so you mentioned your parents both being police officers, and that kind of influenced you uh, into joining the army. Um, what attracted you to specifically the infantry? Cause you were in 11 Bravo. Uh, right. uh, what, what attracted you to the infantry over anything else in the army? Well, quite frankly, it was the only, it was the only option for me. I mean, um, growing up watching, you know, watching all the movies, uh, I, my first military movie I remember watching was Top Gun. And, uh, for a while, like everybody, every other kid that saw that movie, I wanted to be a Navy F-14 pilot. But once I've you know heard that the F-14 was getting uh, decommissioned before I could get old enough to A fly it, B get my eyes fixed in order to be able to because I uh, had uh, bad eyesight growing up. Um, once I realized the uh, James being an F-14 pilot had sailed, uh, the infantry then uh, rose to the occasion because at that point I had seen Black Hawk Down. Um, that was really a, really a transformative uh, movie for me. Hell, seeing We Were Soldiers, I think around that same time. That, that was a good stretch for a good couple years where uh, you had. Uh, Black Hawk Down, Tears of the Sun, We Were Soldiers, even Wind Talkers, like some big blockbuster military movies came out in those first couple years of the uh, 2000s. And of course, 9-11 too happened. Um, I was in fifth grade when it happened. I remember waking up and seeing the, the tower. I actually woke up to my radio, my alarm clock, uh, and that all the stations, of course, were broadcasting what was going on. And so I remember... Uh, Watching turn on the TV because you know here it was only it was still seven o'clock in the morning when we're in New York it was nine, and um, I still remember the images to this day. And you know in the, the subsequent years, you know even though I was in elementary school, I still wished that I would have could have been a part of the response to that. You know like every American had that patriotic uh, uh, rally um, rally around the flag effect, and I wish I you know between. Uh, seeing all the news coverage of Afghanistan and then, you know, even into the, even into the, uh, the Thunder Run in Iraq. I was following both of those. I was coming home from school every day, watching the TV. Uh, again, wishing I was born earlier so I could have been a part of it. So uh, that always stuck with me. And then um, even going into college, I, uh, you know, I had flirted with the idea of going right after high school, but uh, I wanted to go to college first just because uh, my mom 
she was the first in her family to go to college and she uh, constantly stressed the value of having an education. And so I just knew I wanted to get that out of the way first. And then, you know, at that point I had options open to be either going to go officer route uh, or join enlisted, which is what I ended up doing. But the infantry was uh, ingrained in my mind as soon as I saw those initial movies. Yeah, it's kind of corny, cliche. Oh, you know, everyone's seen Black Hawk Down. They all want to go stack bodies after that. But um, again, it was that that illustrated to me there was no other option. I didn't want to join the army to, you know, as much as we need them. Uh, I didn't want to do, you know, support non-combat arm type stuff. Um, so when I went to the recruiter's office, you know, after uh, I had a good couple of years run at the Capitol, but I was I was getting, I was 25 at the time and I knew I was, that proverbial clock was kind of ticking on me as far as like chances to, to still cross things off the bucket list while you had, you know, freedom and, and time to do so. So um, walked into the recruiter's office and, you know, he tried to push, you know, push me to do, you know, an 18 x-ray contract for special forces. Because uh, once, once they saw my ASVAB score, I'm like, oh shit, you should do, you know, you can consider Patriot missile operator, you consider like, no, I don't want to sit behind a desk, I do that already. Like, I'm not going to join, put a uniform on just to, to do more of what I was already doing. The infantry was, again, the, the only the only choice that was ever really going to materialize for me. Some people called me crazy when I got to the drum, they all thought I was nuts because I, A, I went enlisted, B, I went infantry, and I'm like, the hell are you not an officer for? You fucked up. What are you doing here? Like, well, we can't pull triggers too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, I was in New York. I was saying we're the same age. I was in New York when uh, the towers hit and just being a kid, being scared because it's in the same state. Obviously, you know, I'm from Niagara Falls, so it's very, very far away. <laughs> but uh, still, you know, you, it definitely put a sense in like, okay, I like, we got, I got to go. I got to go do something about this. And it feels like it's the same. So you went Sandhill after that um, to be, to get your blue cord and get your, I, when you went through basic, cause I went, I was, went before you, do they still punch the. Yeah. I was lucky. You still got our blood rifles. Okay, um, good. Yeah. I, there are rumors. I'm not sure if they're true, but there are rumors that that practice may have uh, subsided a little bit because variety of reasons, but um, no, I, I definitely got my blood rifles and I wouldn't have had it any other way. So nice. Yeah. My one, my blood, my blood rifle for EIV was definitely worse than. <laughs> they oh, well, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was, they, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure they did it for me too. I, they, I think they gave us a choice, which was weird. And we all chose to get it because. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because we're like, yeah, we're here. Yeah, um, we to the bayonet to get there. Yeah. Do you have any uh, any funny or memorable stories from basic training that kind of shaped the shaped you before you came to drum? Well, basic training is anybody who knows who's been through it knows is a uh, grand experiment in human nature, and you learn a lot about humans in all the best and worst ways. Um, and it really showed me like I knew what I was getting into, and that I. I um, I had a very, I had a very diverse uh, friend group growing up, so I was familiar with a whole bunch of different walks of life. But when you when you get to, you know, thirtieth, and then you get to Sand Hill after that, you know, boy, whatever you thought you knew about uh, um, certain different life circumstances, it's a whole it's a whole big eye opener when you get in there because you got, you know, folks like you got me who was you know, college grad uh, that worked in politics, and then you got dudes that. Uh, 
uh, I got thir- the oldest guy was 32. They called him Old Man River. He's from Alabama. And uh, then you had, you had kids that were just barely uh, barely 18 by the time they got to basic training, so, you know, from the inner city or dudes from the, you know, from the south that had never been on an airplane before. Um, dudes that had real rough, uh, rough upbringings. Uh, dudes that had uh, um, some privileged upbringings as well. It's just every, everyone, anybody who's been to basic knows it's just, uh, it's, uh, it is the quintessential melting pot for sure. Um, not that it uh, really means anything today, but uh, I remember the, the first couple of weeks, you, you know, you're constantly scuffed up and, you know, people just cannot figure out how to follow orders and just realize that we are doing this to ourselves. And the drill sergeants keep telling us that, and yet we're, kids can't get it through their head. Um, and I just kids, some of the old timers too, like they all, you know, everyone still tries and thinks for themselves and we all pay the price for it. Yeah. Um, I remember at one point, uh, initially, you know, my, the advice I got in across the board from going to basically, A, don't volunteer for anything. You want to be that guy that slips through, the drill sergeants don't even know who you are when you graduate. Um, and for whatever reason, I still haven't really figured it out, but the other piece of advice I always got was eat the peanut butter, which I did. I think maybe it's because of the, the protein intake. Because you learn how to appreciate every little bit of every little bit of scraps or anything, but uh, yeah, that big big piece of advice: try and skate through. I'm like, okay, cool, got it. Um, don't want to be noted. I don't want to be noticed by the drill sergeants. I don't want to know who I am. I just be happy just being a ghost, just doing what I got to do and getting through. Um, well, then after the first couple of weeks in, after we started having you know the, the platoon guides, as it were, where you know you have a, a student who gets put in charge of the platoon, and we had a our drill sergeants were. Uh, and every, each one of them has their own school thought, but our uh, cadre and our platoon had the uh, approach of they could tell who the most adversarial and uh, polarizing people in the platoon were, and they put them in charge first. And that caused all kinds of chaos and all kinds of friction. And basically, their, their point was to show what bad leadership looked like. And so I remember I got to the point, you know, a couple of weeks in where I was so just pissed off and getting scuffed for dumb stuff. That I was like, you know, at this point, just make make me the platoon leader so I can get us through this damn you know, remaining 12 weeks or whatever, just so I can make it a little bit easier on the rest of us. And uh, sure enough, and again, every I know every drill uh, sergeant, every uh, um, base training class has their own their own way of doing things. But they actually, our drill sergeants gave us the, an election, as it were. And I guess it's kind of uh, cliche that, of course, the the politician of the uh, <laughs> of the uh, platoon ended up getting elected as the P as the PG. But um, that was also an eye opener because I was always the kind of guy to, that saw himself as a leader, uh, you know, leading by example, leading by experience. And I didn't want to do anything or tell my guys to do anything that I haven't done or is not willing to do. But that was really my first uh, experience with the army's, uh, you know, school thought as far as like, if you're in a leadership position, you know, you can't be doing a lot of the things that the regular Joes are doing. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. when you have a guy drop drop out of, you know, out of the company and he gets uh, kicked out of kicked, kicked out of basic or, or quits or whatever you want to call it, um, we still have to carry around his weapon, right? So oftentimes I would carry several extra weapons just to show that, hey, look, I'm doing this, so y'all should be doing it too. But I actually got scolded several times by the drill saying that's not your job anymore like you've got other dudes to do it i'm just trying to you know do my part and you know be the standard need the example 
And so that was always tough for me, even well after basic, you know, becoming a squad leader at the end of my uh, stint in active duty, realizing to just go ahead and take a step back and, you know, let the guys who have their roles do their roles. And you don't have to be involved as far as, as much as I want to be in the trenches and doing all the same stuff that all Joe was doing, that you have to, you have a bigger role in the bigger picture. Um, so that was my first experience there. And I guess one funny story is we had a, uh, we had a drill sergeant, um, well, we had a couple, obviously, but uh, we had one drill sergeant who was a master of chaos. He, uh, he looked at like a spitting image of uh, Keegan-Michael Key from Key and Peele. And uh, we, all, we all knew, he, he knew that we all knew that. And he finally, at the end of the, end of the cycle, he, he, he did a segment from the, you know, the AA Ron uh, skit um, where he, he ended up breaking the clipboard over his knee just like uh, Key did. But that dude, in the meantime, he was, um, like I said, he was a master at mental chaos because you never knew if he was serious or not. And if you laughed at what you thought was a joke, we'd get scuffed. If you didn't laugh at something we didn't want to, you know, we were terrified of laughing at, we got scuffed. And he's finding all sorts of creative ways to smoke us. And he and we had three drills in our platoon. Um, he came over from, uh, from uh, we were in second, he came over from fourth and he had a vendetta against us and he told us he's coming to you know wreck our world um but the other two drills you know, I had, you know uh, the senior drill was uh r.i.p by the way um unfortunately he joined the, the 22 um, a few years ago but he was you know incredibly formative uh and uh role model for me uh drill sergeant by name drill sergeant casas and um he and i connected pretty well there towards the end like he, he once I became the PG you know he, he put a lot of faith in me and so did the uh, the youngest drill sergeant uh, drill sergeant Rice um, they both had you know a good amount of faith in me but drill sergeant Hainsworth the drill I was talking about he uh, I, I think he thought I, he thought I was smug and arrogant even though I just followed orders because that's what they told us to do and also I actually studied so I didn't want to be the guy that was going to get dude scuffed but he, since I, since apparently I, I thought I knew everything, he was always coming after me. And whenever he was in charge, he would fire me from PG and make somebody else PG. And then Drill Sergeant Rice or, or Drill Sergeant Costas would come back the next day and like, well, what are you, what are you doing? You're not the PG. Get out of your cons. Get back up here. Um, and it would be this revolving door again. It just, the, the whole platoon would just be in fits and starts because no one ever understood who was leadership that day. Well, you know, it's. it's it's Tuesday, must be this guy, or Wednesday, must be Collins, and oh, Phil Sergeant Hager's back in charge, so I guess we're going to be back to chaos again. Um, but yeah, you know, it, he was he was definitely uh, showing us there's a lesson to everything, and uh, it was it was still a good experience. Um, glad I went through it when I did. Don't have to go through it again. I'm glad I'm not doing 22 weeks of that now. But uh, yeah. again, everybody, everybody's got their basic training stories. Yeah. Yeah, so moving on from that, you get to for drum uh and you get sent to the lovely triple deuce uh and aco yep and um so when you're in aco what uh positions did you fill so that's uh got to good old alpha company right at the beginning uh january 2017 and uh, as soon as i got there i got made uh got made rifleman uh, as is you know, typical for you know fresh recruit and um my my uh, platoon sergeant was fresh off the trail and uh, off the drill sergeant trail for those who are wondering. And um, when I first got there, my, my team leader 
It's like, yeah, welcome back to basic. Because we just got our new drill. So two sergeants are drill sergeants. It's like, well, I kind of expected it to be this way anyway, so I'm not really phased. Um, yeah, he uh, he was very by the book. Very, you know, he, he was as one would imagine, a uh, freshly uh, arrived from drill uh, platoon sergeant he would be. And then we also were bracing ourselves because his buddy was coming in too and was supposed to be coming to our platoon uh, who just got drill sergeant of the year. I'm like, oh, great. Now we got two drills. One was be my squad leader probably. It's going to be just, you know, world of pain. But uh, Staff Sergeant Aguirre, when he got to second platoon, second squad where I was, um, that was, he, he, he hands down was the most, uh, he was the, by, by far the best leader I had. And I had a whole bunch of fantastic leaders, but the most formative leader that I had initially right off the get-go that made the biggest impression on me and, and how I wanted to be an NCO, uh, should I make it that far, was uh, Staff Sergeant Aguirre. Um, and he quickly, uh, quickly found out that he, he knew I was competent and capable. And so he uh, he definitely had a watchful eye on, on over me. And uh, like I said, it didn't take long before um, he put more faith in me and, and more uh, responsibility. And, you know, I went from rifleman for a couple months through our first ARTC rotation. And then I came back and he made me a uh, saw gunner. Let me ride up, uh, leapfrogged a couple guys to that role. And, uh, be nice if I saw work half the time, but it was a cool, it was a cool role. Um, but then basically I, I kind of saw I was getting uh, on the track for, for a leadership position soon enough. Um, but yeah, definitely a fantastic guy. He's now, he's now down at uh, Fort Bliss, uh, E7 now, and he, he should be getting, you know, next couple of years getting close to retirement. He joined in 05. And so he had all those stories. He was one of those OG dudes that had literally been there and, and done it and seen, seen it all far more than I'd ever get a chance to. Um, but he was a fantastic leader to, to be able to grow under. Um, so then towards the end of 2017, you know, we got, we went through the, the proverbial cycle of we're going to deploy. No, we're not. Oh yeah, actually we are going to go up psych, not anymore. Um, and then when the, uh, our team leader slot opened up, I got bumped up to that. And, uh, as a specialist and, course when I joined I was a specialist so um, I finally got a, a chance to um, to make my impact as a leader and uh, was a uh, specialist team leader up until I decided to make the jump over to recon uh, tune because they uh, one random day they put out like hey uh, we're the battalions given opportunities to go to sniper school who wants to go it's like, well, it's the first time I've heard about that in my whole year and a half of being here. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely curious. My thought was I was going to go get trained up by scouts and then go to sniper school and then come back to ACO, hopefully with a tab. Um, I was wrong, but it ended up being a you know a good experience. I do miss uh, certainly my rifle company days, but when I moved over to uh, scout platoon, they're rebuilding it, and uh, we you know we it was a small sniper tryout. Most of us made it. Um, and from, that, from there, that put me on my trajectory to uh, be ended up being you know recon team leader, as we all know. And for those who aren't familiar, um, that's a squad leader in recon world is a team leader. Um, but yeah, rose to the rose to the ranks from from specialist. Got my um, got promoted that later that year. 
did a little bit of time as a corporal, which, as you know, I enjoyed. We both, we both uh, utilized our time. It's the bulldogs. Corporals. Well. corporals I, I'm just gonna interject real quick. Like everyone Absolutely. rats on corporals, it's the worst rank in the army. And me and you have had this conversation before, and I've always viewed it as like, look, you're an E4, you got stripes. If you get, if you do go a little too far, they're just gonna bump you back down to specialists. You don't lose any pay. Your money doesn't. Your your uh, your family doesn't lose any income. But if you're an E5 and you do something stupid, you're gonna get bumped down to yeah. E4. So for me, it was always like I I can run with it. And then I mean, I'll just interject with this funny story. And so so uh, Lauren here was was a five, and I was a corporal at the time. Um, and uh, he where no one else besides him in the entire platoon was doing their ammo certs. So he comes up to me and he's like, Hey, you got to stop. You got, he's like, you got to stop just, you know, dragging. You're going to have to get your ammo cert done. And I was like, Hey, Sarm. I was like, hey, you gotta be a hard stripe. You gotta have that third stripe. <laughs> so even I though like, I was running the ra ranges, I was like, I ain't doing the ammo. And I was like, this turd. Yeah. You know, never mind the platoon sergeant said, hey, everyone do your ammo search. So God willing, when you hit your five, then you'll be all good to go. But this man over hey. here was adamant about, well, you know, I'm not a five yet. Can't can't do no good without the, that heart track, which. <sighs> hey, regulations I, don't have ranks. That's just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you come to scouts um, and. Like I said, that's how we met. I eventually came over to, to the sniper section. And um, we, we there's definitely a lot of stories uh, that we could tell for sure. We don't really have uh, too much time to, to indulge in. Um, but I, I wanted to bring up, because uh, we were talking about it a little bit before we, uh, before we went live, was, a, uh, was aerosol school. Mm -hmm. We went to aerosol school together. Tell us, tell everyone about our uh, experience. Oh man, the, <laughs> in uh, aerosol the, school. <laughs> the proverbial toughest ten, ten toughest days in the army, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a little backstory here. Coop over here had no desire to go. Uh, now, to no. his credit, he was over. He spent his time in Hawaii. You know, he was in the uh, the cavalry uh, squadron, so they were actually doing the hua hua recon stuff without having to get all the certs, like use fast rope and use helo casting and all that, you know, high speed stuff. Um, obviously when it gets to the dues it's, and it's, uh, you're just in recon platoon, everything's scaled down. We don't get necessarily the big flashy budget the cab unit does to go do all those fancy things. Um, but our platoon sorry, he was all about getting, getting us. Uh, hey, hey um, I'm just gonna interject. When Rakondo, when we perform, that's when we got the budget. Just gonna throw that out there, so. <laughs> okay, well. Say what you were about that, but um, and then you came to Deuce and you realized we always make do with less, no matter how we perform. So um, our platoon sergeant was was uh, was big on making sure that you know our, we're you know we're, he's like we're scouts, we got to be you know worthy advertising for the for the battalion. We got to have the best NCOs, we got to have the best the best guys all around, and so it 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 would. Uh, Almost said behoove, but I'm not going to go that route. It would certainly benefit our uh, our image if you know we have NCOs with large chest cannons. So Coop here didn't want to go because he'd been there, done that, he got the T-shirt. Um, whereas yours truly, I had, had actually been trying to go to Aerosol for a while, um, but paperwork, you know, 
typical battalion shenanigans always ended up getting in the way. So I never got to go up until literally right after I extended so we could go to Afghanistan. And then at that point, I got air assault thrown at me. I had a mountain school thrown at me. I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I get something out of it. Um, they wouldn't send me to jungle school as I had requested, so I guess I, I had to settle for air assault. Um, That's when the yeah, men are made. Uh, men are made in the J, all right? <laughs> in the J, with, the, with your JPFT. Yeah. Um, so we, we uh, Coop and I get, get uh, sent to air assault and, uh, at the same time. Um, and Coop is making it known that he's, he, again, has no desire to go, but he'll, he even at one point... Uh, Told between stars like, look, I just don't want to go. And he's like, well, you're gonna go anyway. So uh, we went, and it was a good time in that you know it was it was fall at Fort Drum, so the leaves were changing. It wasn't stupid hot, which Drum doesn't get too hot regardless. But it wasn't the summertime, so when you're getting scuffed, uh, it it's more of a, it was more of a hindrance because you got you know it's across the board. You got the non-combat arms folks there too that are that are uh, trying to get their wings, and so. It, a lot of it just ends up being a, an ass pain because you're just trying to learn your stuff so you can go home and, and cook supper and, and go about the rest of your day, but you're having to uh, run in place shouting aerosol, or in, in Coop's case, he started uh, a little trend of inserting whatever salt, jungle salt, bath salt, <laughs> table salt. Um, we ended up being the class clowns for the whole rest of the, the duration because we just were amused by <laughs> just the some of just the ridiculous, the craziness and ridiculousness. Like if anybody's looked at us, they had no idea what the army was, and just came in and saw like a day of air assault, um, and just any of the daily shenanigans we were doing, as far as running back to the ranger side or running in place, holding our water bottles in our air or in the air with our hands, um, and just some of just it's it's just part of the program. But uh, it's got smiling on. But in between, <laughs> Coop and I were definitely up to semantics. Uh, every time we had to do our, our chin ups for the day. We had to make sure we uh, <laughs> one for the air cav, one for uh, Sergeant Major Plumley, which for those of you who don't know, uh, Sergeant Major for we were soldiers. Uh, yeah. we were soldiers. <laughs> However, some people thought that was our Sergeant Major that we were honoring. When we were that that was the crazy thing because you brought you brought this up in the in the beginning, and and I think it's true. A lot of us, the way we knew about the army was was uh, via films that were made. Um, whether it be, I know for me, uh, Black Hawk Down also had, you know, a big influence in what I was going to join. And so, um, when you, are you saying, Sergeant, I mean, Sergeant Major Plum, I mean, that's like, that's iconic. I mean, if you like war films, you've seen We Were Soldiers, you just know, you know, that the yeah. Sergeant Major and people, again, like you said, it was just like, looking at it, it's like, who is that? Is that Triple Deuce's Sergeant Major? Really? <laughs> well, like, no, that's not Triple Deuce's Sergeant Major. <laughs> and, and to set the record straight for me not wanting to go, and it wasn't because I think aerosol school is a waste of time. Um, I think there are some valuable things people have there never are, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, people have never repelled before get to repel. It's a cool experience. Uh, you learn sling loads, which in today's war is a, is a pretty important thing uh for me i don't like going places for a badge mm -hmm. i has my personal opinion i think that the marine corps has it has it a little bit better uh or a little more right in the fact that they just don't advertise their badges you go because you want the training and then there's some there's some validity to the 
to the thought where, well, if we have a badge, then people will want to get the training to get the badge. So I understand both sides of the argument. Uh, It's just me personally. It's like, I'm not going to do something. So what? I have a little shiny thing on my chest. And that was my biggest, because I had had set up sling loads before. So I was like, I I can do it. I've proven I can do it. Anyways, (laughs) but... (laughs) Yeah, the, the story I love just when we would run and we would just be like the different salts, pepper salt, jungle salt, uh, aerosol, uh, aerosol, we would say sometimes. Yeah, aerosol, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. So you're in the deuce. We, uh, we actually went to JRTC right after that, um, which was a very interesting run at JRTC. We're not going to get <laughs> not getting into that. Um, I, I, I remember being very disappointed uh because my jrtc experience is why like and i know people may think i'm crazy for saying this i had a lot of fun like we got we got to do some awesome stuff but when you do long hey when i was in, in that position we did get some cool cool missions and stuff but uh it was a little bit different um the way, we were, <laughs> the way we were utilized one story i am gonna i am gonna bring out um is the is the lizard that oh, one of our soldiers tried to eat after he told us and we're like what i mean and collins just smacks it out of his hands. he's like sorry i'm gonna eat this lizard <laughs> smacks it. No, as we're on a patrol yeah as yeah the, mind uh, you we're on a CTCP. patrol yeah but uh but so we get back from that jrtc uh and we're training up for deployment um and before we get into the deployment, Collins Lauren here is uh, was one of the one of the better NCOs I met in the army for sure. Um, we were peers our entire time, uh, but still respect the uh, the leadership that he had. I was wondering if you could give us a quick like five minute um, really what draw what your philosophy on leadership is as a squad leader team leader position. Well, sure. And uh, let me start by saying uh, a lot of that applies to you as well, Coop. Uh, you know, we had a good a good partnership going, you know, I think between the two of us, not to sound too conceited or anything, but we had a pretty good operation that, that we were running with our with our particular uh, crews. Um, and, you know, I, I learned I learned some stuff from me as far as leadership's concerned, too. I, I was always trying to be as far as picking up best practices from everywhere, everywhere I looked. Um, throughout my army career, I learned a lot about how to be a great NCO and how not to be a, a bad NCO from, from leaders across the spectrum. I will say that. Um, but I think my style of leadership really uh, boils back down to um, kind of a philosophy I already had before in that between in the leadership positions I've been in, whether it was, you know, whether it was quarterback in, in football or um, as one of the you know, uh, team captains on, on my baseball teams growing up, um, playing shortstop, especially when rec league. You know, I had a couple years in high school where I was not the captain. Set the record straight there. But um, and then into when I you know working at the Capitol, and I was running interns and whatnot. Like totally not the same as putting you know or taking the lives of your your men in your hands when you're out in, out in the field on a mission. But um, Still, I was always the one who likes to inspire others and and be a, the standard to which uh, I want to hold everyone to, and um, I want to make an impact and make a positive one on on uh, 
the guys and gals that are under me. And that's always been a thing. And so getting into my first leadership position in the army, well, you know, I guess it was you know, PG and basic, I don't want to count that, but when I got to that fire team leader in ACO, that's where I wanted to be. That's what I always envisioned when I joined. I wanted to make it to, you know, E5, no more than E6, because um, that's one of the reasons why uh, I kind of, I, I made my transition back out and I'm still in the National Guard, but um, beyond staff sergeant as a squad leader or, you know, uh, when you get put into like platoon uh, leadership, that's where the the fun that I joined for, a lot of that kind of fades to the background because again, I have that had that issue throughout my army career, whether it was in basic all the way up to the, my, the, uh, my last few days was taking that step back and not uh, um, putting it all on yourself. And you can, uh, you can uh, relate to that as well, Coop, because we always were the NCOs that, uh, that went above and beyond in our own ways. Um, whether it was spending more time, uh, you know, getting stuff squared away or taking you know, extra time out of our day to, to train guys or um, you know, in your case, writing manuals and tax ops and, and making sure there was a foundation a legacy that you could pass on and make the, leave the unit better than you found it. We all, we each had our own ways of, of going about that. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, I guess it boiled down to, I was, I was a leader that uh, I didn't, I wasn't about a lot of the, you know, the, the BS, but I didn't want to be on a power trip. I wasn't there to flex. I wasn't there to, to just dominate uh, uh, my element. I was there to make sure guys got better and they had a good experience and they would trust me when, when, uh, and they looked to me for the right answers at the uh, when times got tough. Um, and I know it wasn't perfect. I also stayed humble. That's another big thing. Um, I would, you know, even if I didn't know the answers, uh, I would make an effort to go find them. But also let my guys know, hey, look, maybe I don't have the answer for that. Um, maybe there are there are times when you do need to uh, make a decision. But um, you always got to stay humble as a leader, and always want to be constantly learning and evolving and, and adopting best practices. But um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that uh, I made some positive impact on every single one of my soldiers that I had under me. I like to think I did, um, but uh, you know, time will tell as, as the legacy goes on. And you know, one thing uh, you and I both realize uh, now that we're on the outside looking in is uh, um, there is a shelf life for how much of an impact you've made. And the big machine, the big green machine keeps moving regardless of you're there or not. So you just want to make sure that during your time in that you had, um, you made the, mo the most positive impact you could. Um, sometimes it may be, you know, tough on guys when it needed to be, um, but not getting, you know, not getting crazy with it, but striking that balance between uh, being professional and uh, being the one that guys wanted to follow into, in, into the fray. And that's what I tried to be. And I, I'd like to think I succeeded in some of that if, 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 uh, if I had any say about it, but yeah. I guess we just have to ask the guys. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure they would, they would see it, say that that rings true. Um, so we're going to go on to your deployment. Um, now we'll pre preface it by, by saying that the, the, if the United States army can accomplish one thing, well, it is not telling you what you're about to do. <laughs> Um, Our job was so secret, we didn't even know what it was. Yeah, uh, and anyone who's been in for any length of time, you 
they can promise you the world and it isn't necessarily a this isn't a negative thing at all it's just things change um and that is why it's important as we talked about before in these basic in basic training that the first thing you accomplish you know is that you're get off the bus you're running around you're holding the bags over your head you're getting yelled at because your bag's not fully over your head you have no idea you're like they tell you to do something, you do it, then you get smoked for it. And that's important because it teaches you to not know what to expect and to just kind of take it and react. So that being said, um, the 2020 deployment was not um, what you thought. And uh, just kind of briefly, briefly speak on that. Well, you know, initially I wasn't even supposed to be there. I was supposed to be back home out of the army. I had finished my three-year contract right at the on the eve of that deployment, um, and so it was it was definitely an internal grapple with. At the time, you know, it was midsummer 2019, and I was starting to look beyond the army. I was like, well, my times, my three years are up. Like I, I didn't, I didn't intend, I didn't join the army with the intention of making the career. And, you know, I thought about reenlisting a time or two here or there. I definitely want to try and make it to Hawaii. But um, at that point, I was ready to go ahead and move on. But then again, just God's will, all of a sudden, rumors started flying around of a deployment again. It's like, oh, here we go. We've done this before. Um, but this time, like, well, you know, our, our platoon sergeant at the time was like, no, this one's actually real. They're talking about, it. like, we're on the patch chart, this and that. Like, yeah, tell some I haven't heard all of it. Um, but I kept getting closer. I had I had several buddies get out by then because they're just you know there was not enough information to roll the dice for for a lot of my buddies that uh, were on similar tracks to have stuck around. I just had the added benefit that I got to, my contract wasn't up for a little bit longer, and so I had more time to to weigh my options. You know, uh, discern whether or not I thought it was going to happen because you and I both would would have our uh, our. our our chats about how we thought this latest was just another ploy, just another, you know, yeah, we, we're going to deploy just like all the other times they said it. We didn't, we didn't think it was going to happen for, you know, for a little bit there. And then finally a decision point came to me where we were going out of JRTC to go get certified for this deployment that would at best was 60% happening. So, well, they told me either you go down to JRTC or this and you re, you, you uh, re up whether via extension or by uh, re-enlisting. Or you stay here and you out you start out processing getting ready to get out and kind of going back to our previous conversation about leadership i was not going to be the guy to up and leave my squad in the off chance that this thing that does actually happen and the mission that they said we were supposed to do which we were you know triple deuce was attached uplift we were attached to the special forces in country and we were supposed to be providing you know their overwatch their security you know their their extra element and so I wasn't about to uh, run the risk of being on the outside looking in as my guys were getting on the bird to go downrange. Um, I just didn't, I could not uh, fathom uh, going through that. So I rolled the dice. I was like, well, I'll extend. I'll give them one more year. That way, at least I'll, uh, you know, I don't sacrifice too much more time. But if, you know, in the chance that this goes down, I'm going to be there with everybody else. And sure enough, it, it did happen. We came back and started the, the whole process. Um, however, there were some rumblings the closer we got. And I've been, you know, as a political science uh, grad, I was always watching the news, staying informed, trying to keep up to date with what was going on over there. Um, 
and there were, of course, you know, at that point, peace talks were back on after having been off for a while. And, um, of course, it was going to be election year, so politics were coming into play as far as, you know, who wants to be the one who finally ended the war. So there was always a possibility of a peace deal happening, and uh, it was rapidly accelerating. And then, sure enough, we started hearing that, oh, hey, they're taking out they're, they're taking out the radar for the CRAM. They're taking out the 155 now at the, at the location we were supposed to go to, which was allegedly the hottest AO in Afghanistan. But um, sure enough, one week before we get out there, they say, yep, they just shut down your, your cop. You're going to Kandahar instead. I'm like, well, damn, because... We were getting all hyped up, and as, as the army goes, they're like, "Oh yeah, you guys are going to see. You're going you're gonna to get right into the thick of things. The action's going to kick off as soon as you go outside the wire. You know, guys are going to get their CIBs like that." And I'm like, "We're all hyped up and ready for it." And then um, finally, a week out, like I said, they're like, "Pull right off Mudrus," but that wasn't the entire rug. Um, because then we get to Kuwait for a while, just kind of in limbo. Like, well, we're still ready to go out. You know, we're still going to be attached to the GBs. We're still going to go out. You know, just have a different. AO, but the same mission. Well, then, sure enough, um, when we got into Kuwait, that's when they started the uh, the rid of the reduction of violence agreement, where if the Taliban did not engage with us oh, for seven days instead of an AC fire, if they could hold up their end, then that would be the green light to sign the peace deal. Sure enough, we get in, we we leave uh, um, Kuwait. We're in the air, going up. We're pretty much over the Persian Gulf at that point, and that's when. Uh, by the time we touched down, we touched down two hours after they had signed the peace deal. So that upended everything. And then right on the uh, right on the, the heels of that was COVID. Um, so it was just a, a one-two gut punch as far as the entire mission went out the window. Nobody's going outside the wire, A, because we're not shooting the Taliban anymore, B, there's a global pandemic out there that we don't know much about, but it's getting pretty scary. because At the time, it was screwing up Iran. It was screwing up. They shut down Mecca and Saudi Arabia. Like it was getting pretty severe as far as like nobody knew how bad it was going to get. Um, so we were stuck in Kandahar uh, for the whole duration. And that's that's when another uh, choice had to be made. Like in Collins, guess what? With that peace deal, they're starting drawdowns already. And unless you re up again, you know, as much as we want, we want you to be here, you have the least amount of time uh, left. Because I was already supposed to go back early anyway, because being a nine month deployment. It was going to be up in November, but my contract was up in December, so I had to come back a couple months early to out process. So at that point, I was like, well, as much as I want to stay here, make sure my guys are okay, I feel confident in that there's nothing going on down here. Um, just the way the intel was looking, the way that there was no end in sight to COVID, and, you know, the Taliban were smart. They, they knew not to, if they weren't going to, the faster, the, the longer they didn't engage with us, the faster we would leave. That give us more of a reason to get out of there. So that's the way I saw it. And I figured, well, I guess this is uh, I guess this is a sign that uh, it's time to go ahead and get ready for the next move and move on. Um, I know my guys were good. Um, they were in good hands when I left and uh, I came back to drum and uh, right in the you know, thick of COVID. And so that still had you know all kinds of repercussions back here, multiple quarantines, you know, travel restrictions, this and that. Um, but yeah, it was definitely let down. It was something that took some adjusting to because I, uh, you know, we all thought we were going to go over there and, and get a piece of the action because we're going to be with the Green Berets. Everybody wants the uplift mission. Um, but again, it was, just, it was just robbed of us as soon as we got down there. And it's the way the card, you know, cards were stacked. 
we did everything as, as you've said several times too and we had our talks about this that uh we did everything we could to, to put ourselves in that position we don't get to choose the missions we don't get to choose uh uh we said where and why but we did everything on our in our uh power to be there in case the lead started flying it just didn't end up uh end up that way for either of us but you know i i uh i look back and, and you know Think of all the guys who went before me, you know, Sergeant Aguirre, you know, Sergeant Burke, and you know, Arthur Lynch, Sergeant, Sergeant Davis, Sergeant Diaz, all these guys that had been there and seen the real Afghanistan, seen the real Iraq. And we got there and just, again, kind of felt like we got robbed of it. Um, I didn't feel good coming back about it. I, you know, I felt a whole lot of uh, uh, unfinished business. But again, you just had to make peace with us. Like, this is the way it went, was supposed to go. You know, we did what we could here. So, yeah, and and you came back, and COVID not only obviously hit Afghanistan, it hit everywhere. It's it's uh, still a, a widely debated issue on how to handle it. But then it was pretty clear. I mean, what everyone was going to do, we were going to especially at Fort Drum, and leadership's leadership. Uh, whether you're, you know, whether you're in a hide site or you're scanning temperatures whatever it is like as an nco you got to lead and uh yeah. yeah you didn't you didn't get what you didn't get what you wanted but um but it is what it is you know and i and that yeah. was the attitude that that i saw that you took and it was like all right yeah i mean you just gotta i mean for us like in my case we got to do you know we got to do real patrols we got to you know do real sniper missions you know like, like you said you know we didn't you know, and thank God we, you know, no one was shot or killed or anything like that. Um, but you do what you're asked and mm -hmm. then you move on. That's kind of what the army is. And as a leader, you, you don't, you don't pick and choose. You just say, Roger that. And you, you get the job done. And, uh, and so you go, you come back, you deal with COVID and then you, you get out, uh, and you drive, you drive your truck back, uh, back to Colorado. What's it? Uh, what's the the first feeling of getting back to uh, to civilian life? Well, you know, it was certainly extraordinary times. Not at all how I envisioned it. Um, I the, the plan was, you know, I'd come back after six months role in, in Afghanistan. You know, get your post deployment deployment leave. Go pick up my, you know, I. At the time, I had a Jeep, which I had driven out to Colorado to leave it there for six months. Um, but when I came back, you know, far earlier than I anticipated, couldn't fly nowhere because COVID. Um, so everything just kind of went up ended. And uh, my plan was when I got now, because by that point I was able to get another vehicle, I really had to get another car because I couldn't, I couldn't uh, get my Jeep. My parents at the time couldn't get time off. My dad being paramedic, he was, you know, inundated. Um, so there, yeah, that Jeep wasn't coming out anytime soon. So I was able to get a, a good old fashioned Toyota pickup. I am a Toyota man. Um, but I, my goal was I wanted to make a nice, you know, leisurely road trip out of it. I'm, you know, I'm a big history guy, as you know, um, especially presidential history. And I wanted to hit up, uh, on several trips I had done prior, um, on the road, going back home. Uh, for leave, I've had discovered there are multiple uh, presidential museums along the way, presidential libraries. 
Um, one regret I still have to this day is even though I spent four years in New York and went up and down the Hudson Valley numerous times, did not get to see FDR Museum. Um, but while in Boston, I did go to see uh, JFK, my personal idol. Um, but along the trip back, there was Harry Truman Museum and Dwight Eisenhower. So good old bipartisan, bipartisan appeal on all sides. Um, and I, they're all on I-70 and I wanted to hit them all up. Um, but they were all closed because of COVID. So um, my dad flew out into flew out in Syracuse and uh, and to be fair, the, the other presidential de facto library, because we didn't have one yet officially, but we, you and I have, uh, during our tours of the Grand Tri-Tonawanda area, have uh, gone to the Teddy Roosevelt uh, inauguration, not inauguration, but uh, the mansion in which, I forgot what the mansion is it's called over so, there in Buffalo. Uh, it's the, uh, um, shoot, it's, uh, it's escaping me. I want to say the Wilcox Mansion as well. I, I think that's, yeah, that's what it is, yeah. yeah. So that's where, of course, Teddy Roosevelt got uh, sworn in after the assassination of uh, President McKinley. And so essentially that's his presidential museum until they, you know, eventually make one for him. Um, so I like to count that as well. Uh, but uh, shout out to uh, John Cooper Sr. for being our tour guide for the day in that, uh, in that realm. But um, came back home and I will never complain about a road trip that's shorter than 24 hours ever again. Uh, but it was a good time. Uh, I, I, I've come to enjoy uh, the freedom and, the, and just the liberation of a, of a good long road trip. I did make a point to hit up a Wahlburgers on the way back in Pittsburgh. Uh, and whenever I'm in town and there's Wahlburgers nearby, uh, I'll be able to go ahead and give them their, uh, their shout out. Uh, great burgers, check it out. I wholly, wholeheartedly endorse it. But um, finally got, you know, good, drove through a few cool cities, did get to stop by the uh, Air Force Museum um, in Dayton, Ohio, and that was actually quite interesting. Yeah, it was one of the few that were open during COVID, so naturally we had to stop by, my dad and I. And then uh, the only little major pit stop slash highlight was uh, when, when in KC, when in Kansas City, one has to get some barbecue, some big Kansas City barbecue style kind of guy. Um, ended up finding the best reviewed uh, spot in KC, Arthur Bryant's Barbecue, which is a presidential favorite. Presidents from numerous uh, uh, administrations, both sides, uh, have gone there. And there's pictures of them all on the wall. And there's a whole bunch of celebrities that have gone there. So uh, fantastic barbecue. Um, then finally got home. And um, definitely wasn't what I expected because hardly you could hardly see anybody because, again, everyone's still, you know, staying at home. Um, normally my mom loves to throw me these, uh, she invites the familiar over and has a big fiesta and all this, and that's usually how it goes, but obviously it was devoid of all that this time around. It was, uh, definitely, uh, definitely a, I guess an eye-opener again, and just to realize how, uh, how different, um, life both was and wasn't because in some ways it was still a time machine, but um, you didn't really get to catch up with everybody like you thought. Um, but thankfully now, at least here in Colorado and much of the rest of the country, things are opening back up and you're able to see uh, folks again. Um, but in the meantime, it was trying to, you know, you, you enjoy your, your initial few weeks and then you hit that, that, uh, that two week window and you're like, damn, I would normally be going home for uh, back or not going home. I'd be going back to drum for leaves because leaves over. And you're like, wait, I don't have to go nowhere. I'm, I can keep sleeping in or I can keep still waking up and, and 
I can wake up and go run because I want to, not because I have to at that point. The last little tidbit I'll share with uh, being back home experiences. Um, I remember telling several friends about this, but when, I, when you take the drive down I-25 from Fort Collins to Denver, usually I'm getting ready to go back uh, to drum. Usually I'm taking like a red eye. So we're driving in the dark, you know, four o'clock in the morning. And from about halfway down the, the, the interstate, you can start seeing the, the lights on the horizon of BIA. You know, it's, for those who haven't been Denver International, it's really out in the middle of the prairie, um, you know, 20 miles outside of the city. Um, so you can see the airport for, for, for miles because there's just a giant set of just, uh, intense orange lights out on the horizon. Nothing else is out there. Um, and you can see them, like I said, from 40, at least 40 uh, miles out of, outside of Denver. Hmm. And I always had this, this kind of a sinking feeling, a little bit of anxiety. It's like, oh, shit, here we go. That's the, that's the sign. I mean, I'm, I'm, leaves over. All the good times are another six months out. You know, to go back to the grind. Um, so every time I would see those lights, I always knew I was, I was headed back to, you know, put the uniform back on and get back after it and, and be away from your friends and family and everybody that you, you love and care about uh, for another six months. But then uh, my father and I, we were coming down from skiing um, on our first time skiing when I came back for good. And coming down from the from the Rockies, like down into Denver, you as you descend into uh, into the city, you can again see the lights of BIA over there, and uh, on the far side. And I caught myself feeling that feeling again. But then I realized, you know what? I that I don't. That's not a thing anymore. I can go to the airport because I want to, no longer because just I just because I have to. So that's kind of a cool little uh, uh, little bit of uh, game changer there. But nonetheless, it's been it's been good. I enjoyed my time. Um, I don't regret, I would have, I would, even knowing what I know now, I would have made that extension decision again, just to make sure that I knew my guys were going to be okay before I, before I decided to go ahead and ride off in the sunset. So. Yeah. So, uh, like you had said before, you're back, uh, back working at the Colorado state Capitol, uh, back into the political realm. Um, we're not really going to dive, uh, too much into that, uh, but it's good that you you got back and uh, and had something some waiting for you. I think that's a lot of people we know that got out of the army that they get out and they don't really either have a plan or the plan that they had um, didn't work out. So happy. Yeah, that's that's definitely something they stress when it was getting out. You know, back in the day, folks knew it as A cap. Now it's SFL tap, and it may change again. But they always stress have a plan. And, you know, we've had generations of vets come out and, you know, as recent as before ACAP, you know, you got processed in, in just a handful of days and then you're just thrown out of the world, figured out, you know, thanks for your service. And now the, I do commend the Army for giving you resources to get out. Um, you'll see people utilize those resources to varying degrees. However, they at least give you the tools. And so they stress, have a plan, have a plan. And, um, Guess what? Most people still don't have a plan, um, and half of them, when they do have a plan, doesn't it doesn't pan out. Um, you gotta have you know you gotta have a pace plan, uh, yeah. primary alternate contingency, all that. But I was lucky; I was fortunate because I had um, something to fall back on, and a job that I enjoyed, and a job that I knew. Especially during COVID, I was blessed to see that it was they were hiring again, and I still had people that I knew at the Capitol. It was still very a very competitive process, but I was able to get back into that into that realm, and so I'm grateful for that. But uh, yeah, you know, the same can always be said, as we know, um, 
some dudes don't have a plan. Some dudes had a plan that fell through. Uh, some dudes, it got to the point where they had to come back in because they weren't ready or they didn't know and nothing else really ended up uh, fleshing out for them. So, yeah. So, uh, so on this, um, our saying in the 22nd is deeds, not words. And that's something I've always loved. Um, when I came to, to the triple deuce, I was, I always thought that was really awesome saying, because to me, what it symbolizes is we, we don't just talk about it. We do it. Like there's no, there's no other option. Uh, we all challenge each other with deeds all the time. When someone says they're going to do something, you don't think they can do it. You're just like deeds. Let's see it. So, uh, so just uh, talk about what that means to you, not only just as in what the saying means, but also how you apply it uh, outside of the 20 second into your life now. Sure. Well, ever since growing up, um, mom and dad uh, instilled a, you know, an ardent sense of integrity. Um, as a, even as a child growing up, again, being the son of two cops, you know, it's like living under a microscope. Huh. And uh, I was always going to be held accountable for my actions. Um, so uh, from a very early age, I, I was, I was uh, understanding of the, the concept that your actions are going to, you're going to have to pay the price for your actions and your actions will speak louder than your words, obviously, as the saying goes. But yeah, being, uh, being ready and willing and understanding that you will, uh, that there's consequences for everything that you do, good and bad. Um, and so it's something that I already had a, a concept of before I got to the news. And I guess just, it was meant to be, you know, that's, that's our saying, that's our motto, that's the way we're supposed to lead our lives, both in the army and then out of it on the other end. Um, and that's what I, that's what I tried to embody while I was there. And obviously, um, now that I'm out, I still try and carry that with me. Uh, to this day, because it just makes you a better person for it. Uh, you know, you see so many, so many people both in and out of the service that uh, um, may talk a big game, but when it, the chips are down, you know, where are they going to be when it's time to act? Um, and I didn't want to have any question as to where I was going to be, what I was going to do. And so on my parting, uh, my parting little speech that I, I got to give to the platoon before I left, uh, I just tried to recap um, my, uh, the lessons I learned as a, as a leader and, and how to impart it upon them. And I wanted to make a point of, of uh, bringing up to the guys that uh, there's, a, there's a Latin saying out there called Esse uh, Quam Bideri. And it's both, um, it's actually the state model of North Carolina, although I did not know that at the time. Um, but it means to be rather than to see which goes hand in hand with deeds, not words. Yep. Because as a leader, especially in the infantry, everyone likes to talk a big game in the infantry. Oh, well, I got my blue cord. You know, I'm really badass. I've, I've done more than you have. Even if I just graduated basic training, I've done more than any other, you know, Paul would have done in their basic training. But until um, it's time to do the job, um, that's when it's, that's it's going to come down to whether you're just, you know, talking your game, or if you're actually about it, and it's a lifestyle you have to lead. And you, know, when you, there's a, there's a lot of guys that were coming up to get their stripes, as as you and I are both getting out um, to replace us. And I just felt it was imperative that they need to um, carry that with them. I, I like to think that I 
I demonstrated that the best I could to not only to know what you're talking about, but be able to do it. Right? Know your know your place, but or know your uh, stuff. Be able to execute it in the in that place as well. Um, so that's what it's meant to me, both in the army and then getting out again. It's it's uh, that kind of moral compass that that those inherent values of what why is it uh, you do what you do the way you do it and. I don't want to have any questions about that when it's my time to look back on everything. Yeah. So what is your favorite part of uh, 22nd infantry history? And what does it mean to be part of that history? Favorite part of 22nd history? Well, um, obviously, uh, being on, on the shores of Normandy on D-Day's a, a real uh, significant uh, uh, marker in time, and that can't it can't be understated how just incredible that feat was. Whether it was Utah, Omaha, or even you know if you're a British Gold Sword or Juno, just the Leviathan superhuman effort that, that took. And trying to put it in perspective now, like trying to think how would we fared because we'll never know we weren't there. Um, but that I think is the ultimate measure of, uh, of the modern infantrymen. How would we have fared? getting dumped out into the, the, the freezing English Channel on a stormy day, as you run the risk of drowning before you even get to the beach, you know, taking uh, artillery down before you even get to the beach. Once you hit the, uh, your problems have begun far before you even hit the sand. And just the sheer grit and just uh, amazing, uh, again, superhuman feat, what it took to, to, to take that beach um, in the face of just hellacious, uh, incomprehensible fury from the Germans. And yet they, we still made it happen. Um, that's just incredible to me. So I always carried with me just how things could be a lot worse. Um, and how, how would you, uh, how do you think you would have fared? And so you try and the only, only thing you can do is, is learn from, from, uh, those that came before you and, uh, do your best to honor them by, by, uh, trying to live up to them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so last, last thing before we go into the closing remarks, uh, is what is your advice to soldiers who are currently in triple deuce? Um, and if one, two, two ever gets stood back up again <laughs> and they, they listen to this, uh, someday, uh, what would your advice to them be? Well, kind of like I told the guys before I left, it's, it's, it's being about it, you know, um, not just not just saying you're about it. Fort Drum can have a lot of opportunities for you. Um, you know, as a New York native, you love the area, you love the countryside up there, and it has a lot to offer. Um, I know it can be tough for young guys coming up there from, from south or, or uh, the big city on the coast, and now they're just dropped in the middle of nowhere where it's, you know, freezing cold half the year, and there's almost no social life in, I mean, Watertown in all its glory has what it has, but it's not, uh, it's certainly not Fort Campbell next to Nashville. It's certainly not, uh, you know, Fort Lewis next to Seattle, Tacoma. Um, you get what you get. The closest regular size city is Syracuse and over an hour away, but drum has a lot to offer. Um, so as far as an experience standpoint goes, don't just be in your barracks room playing video games and drinking like, yeah, that's going to happen. That's, you know, that's part of the life, but do not make that your only thing you're known for there. 
you know, maybe you're not an outdoorsy type, that's fine. Get out, go to Syracuse, go to the city, go to Boston, go explore the area, go to Buffalo, Rochester. Um, New York has plenty to offer there, even in the freezing cold, you know, and if you're an outdoors, uh, an outdoorsman, that's right up your alley. You've got skiing in uh, Lake Placid, you can go do snowshoeing, um, you know, you ice can fishing. take the ice fishing, you can take the, uh, make, you know, take advantage of the winter. Um, you know, me being a Colorado guy, yeah, I love skiing. So it was fantastic. I'd go two hours away with Whiteface. You know, they gave discounted uh, ski tickets to Fort Drum. You know, for you beginners, there's, there's even Dry Hill and what's that other snow ridge that's not too far away. Um, so there's plenty of opportunities to uh, either enjoy what you're already comfortable with or get out of your comfort zone and explore. In the summertime, fantastic uh, trails in the Adirondacks, and even just the nearby woods. Um, I became so familiar with that with that drive up and down Lake Placid and hitting up all these different trails and and the uh, the western half of the Adirondacks. Uh, I couldn't get up there enough. Um, as far as being a young soldier is concerned, though, make sure uh, as you and I both uh, try to instill upon our guys, make sure that you're getting better um, every day. It may it may not be something significant every day. Um, but try and be better than the day you were before. Uh, and try to make yourself harder to kill each day. Doesn't have to be that you're, you know, maybe it's you're going to the gym, you know, you do your PT session in the morning, then you go to the gym after, uh, you know, after after chow, after supper chow. Um, or you're cracking open a book and reading about history of the 22nd or uh, learning about, you know, previous battles. It doesn't have to be the you know, 22nd, you know, whether it's Desert Storm, Vietnam, Korea. History has so much to teach us, and not enough uh, young enlisted guys have grasped that yet. Um, so between learning and improving, just make that a point, um, because you owe it to the people that came before you. You know, the, the deuce has a legacy that you are there to uphold. And, uh, you know, if you if you want it to continue, it's, it, it's on you. So that's the way I see it. Yeah, well, I appreciate you uh, <clears throat> you being on. Appreciate your advice yeah. to the, the guys for listening to it. So, uh, so stick so to stick around real quick. I'm just gonna read the the spiel at the end that that we do. And so, like this uh, this episode's we talked about the Tri Tonawanda area, which is around <laughs> Niagara Falls. It's kind of a inside joke, but a company there that uh, sponsors this podcast is uh, Old Glory Flag and Banner. They make a hundred percent. Uh, made in the United States of America flags, uh, and they sell their flag products as well out of their store in Niagara Falls, but there's also a website, and it is oldgloryflag.com. Oldgloryflag.com. You can go and order a flag and uh, and fly the colors of this nation proudly uh, before your house or on your boat or whatever uh, wherever you decide to fly it. Uh, and for those listeners who are veterans of the 22nd, I'd like to remind you to become members of the 22nd Infantry Society. It's a great group of guys uh, who I've gotten to know over this past year uh, working on the on the history piece. I'm proudly a member of it. So go to the uh, 22ndinfantry.org to sign up and check out their store as well to get some uh, get some 22nd Infantry uh, bling. I don't know, bling's not the right word. That's that's what we would say. That's what we said growing up. It's uh, apparel. There you go. And uh, it's all the same thing. <laughs> and uh, any suggestions you guys have, you can send to me on my Instagram page, the double deucer underscore 2022. 
uh, for shirts you'd like to see. I know I've gotten a few uh, just kind of things that we can maybe branch out on. Um, if you're still in the unit, I highly suggest you get a jump start on joining them. They're a great group of veterans who are who would love to help you out and love to get to know you. On the news of the Society of the Ever Union coming up this fall in Dallas, Texas, uh, check out their website again. That's 22ndinfantry.org to register. Uh, and it'd be a great time out there with those vets. Also consider going to staffsarentallis.org, signing up for the Staff Sergeant Michael Allis run. That's uh, taking place on June 13th. Uh, Staff Sergeant Allis is a single service cross member from Triple Deuce and uh, gave his life for our country and his family runs a 5K run. Now that run is, is done uh, both by uh, virtual and live in Staten Island, New York. Uh, they will be doing it this year. Last year for COVID, it was only virtual. So if you're in the, the uh, greater Watertown area and you want to you wanna do it with me, uh, hit me up. We're, I'm going to be doing it at a, uh, a slow old man got out of the Army pace. So <laughs> if you would like to join me, uh, do that. If not, please check that out. Um, and June 13th is the, the Sunday on that run. If you're in New York, we talked about the Adirondack Mountains uh, when you were talking about things to do around the area. So if you're in New York, consider taking place in the Regulars Mountain Tough Challenge. And the Regulars Mountain Tough Challenge is hiking the top 22 peaks in Adirondack Mountains. They're about two hours away from Fort Drum. What uh, what mountains did you get when you were here? So that's, uh, I tackled you know, the tallest one, good old uh, Mount Marcy, she's, uh, she's ruthless. But I did uh, I did tackle her um, five times actually. That was my favorite favorite hike in, in uh, mm -hmm. uh, as far as the high peaks are concerned. Also did uh, Porter Mountain and Cascade Mountain. Um, those are also uh, just down the road from Placid. Um, technically, I was at the summit of Whiteface. Did I hike mm -hmm. it? No, but I have a picture <laughs> up there. But uh, I'm, helped you get up that way. Yeah, I, I'm glad I got to the. I've got to the. If I had spent less time going up Marshy so many damn times, maybe I branched out and did some other ones. But uh, yeah, problem was once people heard I went up there, then I became the de facto tour guide, and I'd take everyone else up there. So I just became the Sherpa scout. But uh, no, I, I enjoyed the high peaks. They're a good time. So let's check it out. Yeah. So if you uh, if you do go, uh, if you everyone likes to put their photos on their social medias. Uh, just put the hashtag tutu mountain tough and uh, we'll share your photo out there as uh, you guys are doing that. Uh, and lastly, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, the main outlet that is put on is Anchor and Spotify. You can follow the Double Deucer on social media on Facebook. We are we are at the, the Double Deucer. The Deucer is spelled D-E-U-C-E-R. On Instagram, we are at Double Deucer underscore tutu. Uh, we have a blog which the link is the doubledoucer22.wix. That's W-I-X, wixsite.com, and then backslash website. Uh, you can also just click the, uh, the link on those two pages, and you can access that through Instagram or Facebook. Uh, we got some articles on there. Um, we got one dropping here soon by... Uh, Actually, by the time this is put out, the article will be put out already. So uh, that Collins here wrote, um, and uh, he we got an article about him as well in his service. 
uh, shorter version of this <laughs> of this podcast, but but a good read nonetheless. Uh, and Collins, what's your uh, social media if someone wants to uh, to connect with you? So you can find me on uh, on the gram, as the kids say, Instagram uh, at local, so L O C O L zero one two, because apparently regular twelve was taken. So again, it's uh, local zero one two. Um, that's what I'm most active on. I'm also just Lauren Collins, L O R E N uh, Collins on Facebook. Um, those are the two big ones, but uh, hit me up. I'll be there. You can find me. There we go. And uh, as always, those who serve our great nation, whether it be you were in the 22nd or not, we appreciate your service and the sacrifice you've made for this country. Uh, and with that, deeds, not words. Deeds. <laughs>